Welcome to episode 32 of the Water Break Podcast. Here's your host, Heather Jennings. Welcome to Water Break, where we try to bridge the gap between water operators and engineers. In today's episode, we're going to talk with Mike McGill about PER and polyfluoral alkyl substances, better known as PFAS, communication plans, and how to support your communities through the new regulations coming down from the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA. In 2016, Mike McGill founded Water PIO, a national public communications firm dedicated to helping water and wastewater utilities of all sizes improve their customer, media, and crisis communications. The firm currently works with clients providing services to customers in more than a dozen states. Before starting Water PIO, Mike directed public information and customer service operations for major water and wastewater utilities for a dozen years. Mike also holds a dual degree in broadcast journalism and political science from Syracuse University. He began his career as a news writer and producer for CNN and National Journal Hotline in Washington, D.C. Mike, we are glad to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I know. We've like been trying to coordinate a podcast for, gosh, probably six <laughs> months now. Yeah, really. <laughs> Since we came, we came across each other and started talking about PFAS and we couldn't stop. So, yeah. Yeah, but I, I'm glad we're, we're having a chance to talk about it. And just for the listeners who don't know what PFAS is, uh, these are substances that have been around since World War II, and we interact with them daily. Everything from food packaging, Teflon coatings, Teflon tapes, water, stain-proof materials, firefighting foams, you name it. And the question is, you know, why is it coming up on the industry radar now? What do you think, Mike? Well, I think it's just a natural progression of water testing. As water testing has improved, we're finding more and more constituents in our water. And PFAS have, have always been there. Uh, here in North Carolina, PFAS were in our water running through my old utilities water plant, which was seen as the best for hundreds of miles around. And we had no idea that PFAS were running through it for upwards of, of 40 years through the system. So as water testing's improved, we're finding more and more of these constituents at, at lower levels. And obviously, as we find out more about what PFAS means, as what some of these properties that they have when it comes to public health, obviously, that increases public notice of the situation. I think, you know, our understanding of what is categorized as PFAS has grown as well. You know, it used to be a couple thousand, whatever. Now (laughs) I'm hearing numbers of 14,000. You're like, holy crap, you know, how are we going to handle this? It went from 5,000 when Gen X really kind of exploded as an issue in North Carolina to 9,000. Uh-huh. 14's new, but I certainly don't doubt that number considering the progression we've seen. That just shows how large the problem is for water and wastewater utilities. It's an ever-changing environment. As been discussed, I'm sure, with other groups, is the problem is, is these don't go away. Right. They don't you know, hydrolyze, photolyze, or biodegrade. They build up in humans and vegetation. More than 95% of us have it in our bloodstream. And I know when I found out about it, I was not happy. Right. Most so. people aren't. When I explain it to the public, I try to explain the fact that 80% or more of our exposure is from our everyday products. While while we're having this major focus on drinking water, you know, whenever I have an interview, I, I talk to the reporter and I point out everything on our bodies or on our faces that is loaded with PFAS, carpets, clothing, couches, cosmetics, everything, cookware, you know, it's everywhere. Um, One of the ways I I talk to the public about how large the issue is as a whole is I run through the products, you know, it's in dental floss, it's in chocolate cake. It's in- Oh, no, don't mess with my chocolate. 
What's that? <laughs> Don't mess with my chocolate. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, oh, I gave a speech to National Water. I had about three, four hundred people in the room. And I mentioned the findings in chocolate cake was it was 17,000 parts per trillion in chocolate cake. And the reason why was because the cake mix sits in the bag coated in PFAS to keep it from clumping. And when I announced that news, there was a gas from the back of the room. She's like, no, the, the, the room monitor <laughs> yelled out from the back of the room. I got a big laugh out of it, but it, and it, and it also drove home the point of the fact that they're everywhere. Recent discoveries, yeah. you know, we just found out that it's in toilet paper. You know, you talk about the issue of how to how are we going to deal with this in drinking water? Then you have the wastewater side. If it's in the toilet paper, there's another way that it gets into our systems that we have no way of controlling. And it's just it just shows the position we're in. It's difficult. Well, and it also shows just how handy these products were that we developed more and more items with them because, you know, PFAS did the job that we gave it. We love them. We love yeah. them. We just, uh, we didn't know we were making this bargain. Yeah. Uh, and in part because of the regular, well, in major part because of the regulatory process. Oh, go ahead. This, they look like they're safe. Go ahead and use them. If we find out we're bad later, then we'll, we'll figure it out. And that's what yeah. happened with Gen X. It was a byproduct of a process. It got around the regulatory steps and it was pumped into our, our drinking water source for 40 years. Yeah. And the more, you know, sometimes we really live in a, <laughs> very digitally connected world now. It's not like in the 60s and the 70s. You know, People can find out about these things daily. So what would you recommend? My big thing is to get out front first. You know, if it's one thing we don't like to do in our industry, water and wastewater is to talk about things that aren't settled. We like talking about things only when we've got them nailed down and we're never going to have it nailed down on PFAS. There's always going to be shifting sands. So if we want to keep public trust, if we want to show the public we're on top of the issue, we're going to have to start talking about it now and make sure that they know that we're on top of the issue. We're going to keep their water safe. We're going to keep up with the latest developments and it's going to be difficult. I have this thing. I used to run a newsroom for a couple of years. We had an old adage in there. If I hear from you first, I trust you first. If I hear from you last, I trust you last. And it's pretty basic. It's, it's the way it works in our daily lives. So if we're out front talking about the situation, talking about the challenges first, the public will be in sync with us in large extent and be on our side. But if we wait and we don't talk about this and we only talk about it when we find it, especially with UCMR5 testing coming up, then yeah. the public isn't going to trust us. They're not going to believe that we're on top of it. They're going to look at us as someone that kept something quiet instead of being honest with them. And we can't afford to do that. I know my mom actually sent me her water report and she's at the bottom. It actually had PFOA and PFOS on it. And she said, you know, if I didn't know you, I would have no idea what this means. Right. Because it hasn't been discussed. It's in the report, but it's, it's there with, you know, the manganese and the arsenic and other things. And has a little note saying not regulated yet. Right. Well, that, that that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it doesn't work anymore. And this is where we have to put ourselves in our customer's shoes. We can't just keep our water hats on, if you will, and say, oh, it's it's no big, no big deal with these concentrate. We have to be out front talking about why the levels we're seeing are not levels that need to be maybe perhaps addressed by our water systems. We have to give that perspective or else we're going to lose the public even before this gets started. We have to be yeah. out there, out front talking about this. If we're arrogant and we say, well, if we go to our customers, we're only going to confuse them. They're only going to pick up half of our explanation. Why do that? They'll, it'll only cause us more problems. Well, 
In this day and age, you can't do that. You have to be out there communicating. I think it's important to tell them where it came from. Right. And that as a water or wastewater, whatever part of the water program you're in, is that we didn't create it. We're receiving it and we're part of the solution to it. That's right. And we're only going to be part viewed as part of the solution if we're out front and honest. You know, what happened down here in North Carolina, the utility that got hit hardest uh -huh. on Gen X actually helped find it. They partnered with NC State University oh. to find it. They were part of the good side of this. Uh -huh. But because because a decision was made not to communicate. They said, oh, Comores, the, the company that dumped it in the water, they'll be the villain. If we talk about it, we could be part, you know, viewed as a villain too. So they kept quiet of, of outside of all counsel that I even gave to them. They kept quiet. So when the story hit, scream and headline, toxin found in utilities drinking water, what happened? The utility came into question because they weren't out front on what they found. Even though they helped find it, they were viewed as a villain. And they were a more convenient villain, villain the cover because they can't close their doors. They're a mile or two away from yeah. the TV stations in, in the newsrooms versus Comores, which was 100 miles away behind three levels of barbed wire. So the water utility took the brunt of the fact that there was this contamination in the water, even though they helped find it. And it was all because they didn't communicate about it. Staying on top of it, like what is some of the verbiage when you go forward in front of someone? Like, what are we saying? Hey, we've, we've got this. We know what it is. Or how would I word that to the uneducated public? So I start off kind of what we started off this podcast with. We explained what PFAS were. We explained the customer product exposure piece of this, that while they're hearing about all these regulations from the EPA and all this focus on drinking water, that they've put it on their faces in the morning, that they're wearing it, that they're sitting on it, they're walking on it, their kids are rolling in it. I mean, so to give them more of an idea, more perspective of what we're talking about here. And then we have to talk about what's being proposed and why. For me, what I talk about is the states have been working on this issue for years. Here are the numbers they came in at. And here's the EPA numbers. And this is the world we're dealing with. I do not minimize the idea that these should not be in our water. As you mentioned, we didn't put them there. They have been dumped into our, our source waters and we are left to deal with it. And unfortunately, in almost every case, the customer is left to pay for it. So we yeah. have to get out front and, and say, okay, here's what they're considering for the standards. Here's what we believe the standards will be. But if the if it comes down, the EPA goes with four and four in this hazard index, which we're I'm sure we're about to talk about. Yes. And we're going to meet those and we're going to move forward. However, it might take some time and it might be a considerable expense. So we've got to be giving that perspective. And then that perspective helps out because under UCMR 5, the testing that we're going to be doing in the next couple of years, we're going to be looking for PFAS like never before and having to report that out to the public. So we've got to be out front first with the full explanation, what they are, why they're there, why we're left to deal with it, and what we might find in the future and give that perspective. Or else when it hits, the public is going to immediately go to these are dangerous. You need to get them out of my water no matter what. And I don't really think I should pay for it. And understandably, that's a, a reaction that almost everybody would have. That's why we had to provide the perspective first. All right. So we've talked about UCMR just briefly, but let's actually say what it is. Do you want me to do it or shall you? Go for <laughs> it. Go for it. 
So UCMR5 testing is just the latest iteration of what the EPA does. And ideally, a UCMR process, the unregulated contaminant monitoring rule for those out there, it's designed for utilities to go and find contaminants that could be of concern in the future and kind of get the landscape of perhaps contamination all over the country or existence all over the country. And then the EPA takes that information and starts on the road of, do we need to regulate these or not? With PFAS, because we've started down the road with regulating some, and we have these 14,000 others that are out there, this process has a little bit of a different component to it now, more, much more of a public eye on it. Past monitoring rules, you looked for it and you reported it out in your CCR, but they were unregulated, so it didn't really make news. Here, yeah. you're talking about constituents that are making news. So when you go and sample for 29 PFAS, under the rule, you're going to be looking for these like never before, and you're going to have to report them out. And when you take the whole, I guess you could say basket of all the PFAS chemicals and all the talk about regulation, and then throw in, well, we found a dozen of the 29 PFAS uh -huh. in our water, but they're at safe, you know, they're at safe levels. Don't worry about it. You're not going to be able to give that message out. It's just going to be a mess. And that's what we're looking at in the future. Yeah, and in ECMR is just to spread that net out, really yeah. to see you know who all, I, who all is impacted by it. If it's a national thing, or if it's just a regional thing, that's right. Or... In a perfect world, that would be the way it's going to be treated moving forward, just like the past ones. Unfortunately, because of all the attention proposed MCLs, which will be finalized by the end of the year, early next year, and uh -huh. whatever happens with this hazard index, there's going to be a lot of attention on the issue. And it's going to be directly tied in with the fact that X utility has found so many numbers of PFAS under the rule. What are you going to do, utility? Aren't you going to get them out? And, and the utility can't say, well, they're unregulated, like you mentioned before. Yeah. Public's not going to buy that anymore. Yeah, they're like, I've heard about this. So-and-so's talked about it. You're now seeing marketing and advertising saying, you know, PFAS free or PFOA free or whatever. And just yeah. let's just say, you know, perfluorooctanoic acid is PFOA and perfluorooctane sulfonate is PFOS. I'm glad you said that first. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Every once in a while that chemistry degree comes in handy. Yeah. But... yeah. Thank but, you very much. <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, we're looking at things, like I said, advertisements saying that they're free of this, they're free of that. And those Most new MC... aren't. Yeah. Most and of them aren't. already yeah, are. And you know, here we are. But those new MCLs that are have been proposed is four milligrams per liter for PFOA and four milligrams per liter for PFOS or four parts per trillion. And then, as you mentioned before, there's a hazard index. Yeah. And that's just four other PFAS that they want to keep an eye on, basically, I think. I would say that, you know, this is something that we're concerned about. So we're going to take a proactive step. They want to speed up the process with these four PFOA and PFOS are the two worst chemicals. We've known they're bad for decades because they're a billion dollar moneymaker that the chemical industry voluntarily moved away from 20 years ago because they saw how bad they were. I mean, the, the movie Dark Waters, many in the water industry were concerned about it when it came out. And it was it actually just really focused in on what happened in Parkersburg, West Virginia with the poisoning of the people there. And these we know these two chemicals are cancer causers at, at higher levels. The other four, this hazard index, was a way of getting 
four other PFAS that we have a little bit more research on. And Gen X, which is the one that made news in North Carolina, you know, in Michael Regan's home state. That's one of the reasons why he became the EPA administrator is because of the Gen X issue. Oh. It's a way of getting this hazard, covering these four other PFAS chemicals and, and getting them faster to an uh, MCL than the 20 year long process that it took for PFOA and PFOS. The problem is the way they did it. Uh, you know, this hazard index is the first time they've done it this way in water. And the problem is you can be under the EPA's own health advisories for each one of the four PFAS chemicals that are involved. But when you total them up as part of the hazard index equation, if you're over one, which is their their number, then you're in violation. You've yeah. gone over the MCL. And so it's really a difficult place for water and wastewater utilities to be when you've got this number out there that even if I'm compliant with the health advisories, I still could have a, a violation. That's a difficult world to live in. Yeah. It's almost like you might as well just plan for it and treat it for it now rather than yeah. You know, waiting. And unfortunately, that's where we hit the major problem with this. You know, I'm going to be writing up my comment for the EPA on the, the MCLs. And in a perfect world, maybe these would work. But we don't have the number of treatment systems, the, the media out there to deal with these chemicals on a wide level where because we could be forcing tens of thousands of utilities to have to move to advanced treatment in three to five years. It's not going to work. There aren't enough systems out there. There's not enough money out there. And there's not enough media out there to, to successfully deal with these PFAS chemicals at the, the levels that they want. And it's just going to be create all sorts of chaos. I've got clients that are starting to pilot programs for their advanced treatment plants now to deal with PFAS. Even if they're in the pilots program now, if the MCLs didn't come down and they're finalized later this year, they might be able to get their plant built and in operation in time before they get a violation. I mean, that's the position water utilities are in if they haven't done a single step towards dealing with PFAS. It's gonna be a mess. Like you, I, I travel nationwide and I've talked to different regulators and things like that. And I've I've heard people say, well, you know, we're just gonna sit on this and wait to see what happens. And I'm like, you know what? That probably worked for, you know, nitrogen and phosphorus and things like that. That's not going to work with PFAS. This is something that's happening now. And, you know, when I present on PFAS and I'm talking to the community, I'm like, if you were going to retire, you should have done it two or three <laughs> years ago. <laughs> you know? yeah. You've heard about it now. So now you've kind of, now you're responsible for it. That's pretty blunt. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty blunt in my conversations. That's pretty blunt too. And it, it needs to be heard. This isn't something that we can ignore anymore. Cause I heard that a lot, you know, I'll just retire and leave it for the next guy. Well, we've got it. We've got an a, we've got a gap in our workforce and you might be the next guy. Well, that, that's one yeah. of the things I talk about in my, I'm going to be talking about in my public comment. We don't have the staff to deal with the, the advanced treatment needs. Certainly we can, we can educate our staff, get them certified on these systems, but we're going to need more people. And we don't have those people, just like everybody else that's got a, in a tight workforce, they don't have the bodies to expand their work like they want to. Well, we're going to see a massive expansion here of the work we need to do in water treatment. And we don't have the people right now. And that is one of the considerations that, that has to be made. To your point earlier, I've been talking for years. Winter is coming. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, even though it's a little old now, <laughs> um, winter, is winter is coming. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. Well, winter is here. Winter has come. 
and we have to deal with this. And if we don't deal with this, one of the things in my public comment is the EPA is putting us in a position to fail. And if we fail, then public confidence in drinking water goes by the board. It is going to, it's going to be lost on a national scale if you've got hundreds and maybe even thousands of utilities three plus years from now getting violations for PFAS. I've also heard, you know, the other side, you know, well, I'm just not going to do it. Right. And nobody else is going to do it. So they're not going to be able to do anything to us kind of deal. I'm like, ah, <sighs> you know, I, I, would, I wouldn't underestimate the government when they're determined. <laughs> That's not a position you want to be in. Yeah. But I know a lot of people too are like, how are we going to pay for right. this? So how do you address that in your public communications? This is where you can get the public on your side if you're communicating first. Because of the fact you you talked about it earlier, we didn't put this here. We're left to deal with it. We're at the end of the chain, if you will, when it comes to the problem. And if we don't get out front on this and go after the polluters that have tainted our source waters. That's where the punishment needs to come down. It doesn't need to come down on water and wastewater utilities. It should be coming down on polluters. And so there needs to be an emphasis on the people who put it there, who created this problem to begin with. But, you know, we don't see that on a wide scale. We see it in, in smaller areas. We have several clients that are building plants now because they got settlements from a polluter to help them build their water plant. Some in roundabout ways, someone, uh -huh. some are actually getting that check, but they're confidential settlements. It's because the utility stood out and said, we've got this on our water. We didn't put it here. Come on, public. Let's get this taken care of together and put pressure on the polluters. Yeah. That's what we're going to need. And we can only enlist the public in what we're trying to do in that, in that regard if we're out front and honest with them first. If we're not, we'll be seen as part of the problem and they're not going to be on board with us. You've used the phrase before, planned transparency. Yes. Yes. What does that mean, planned transparency? So, and this is a key because like I mentioned, we don't like to talk about things we don't completely have the answers to. So what I tell my clients and the people I bring on board and, and what, how we operate is get out front with the information first. You know, everything we've talked about in this podcast is basically information that a utility can put on its website, put out to the public, brief the media, brief elected officials, community leaders, talk to them about the issue, what they're planning to do about it in the future, what we're keeping an eye on with the EPA and at the state level. You know, states set, many states set PFAS standards in place before the EPA did, long before the EPA did. So there's all, yeah. all sorts of information out there that we can provide to educate the public straight from us, a variety of ways to get that information out. And we just plan to do it early and often. Here's how we're gonna knock this issue out so our public understands it more from our point of view, not someone that they've Googled that is simply saying that X utility is poisoning us through their water. Cause I had to deal with that for yeah. a client in the last two weeks. Someone's just pounding away on that and they hadn't been communicating with the public. So now we're brought on board to communicate to the public and it kind of takes the wind out of the sails of the people that are saying you're poisoning us when they're not. But you know, yeah. that is that whole thing. If I hear from you first, I trust you first. If I hear from you last, I trust you last. I can't stress that enough. I think it's very important for us to put in the place that we have always advocated for clear, clean That's water. Right. We have always been, you know, we're, we're certified, we're licensed. We manage this equipment daily to ensure that you have safe drinking water or 
you know, that we clean the wastewater or whatever part you're in this, just advocating for ourselves, which let's be honest, you know, people flush the toilet and they have no idea where it goes to. They turn on the tap, you know, get a drink of water. No idea where that comes from. Right. And for some, they're like, well, I'll just drink bottled water. I'm like, ah, that's not a guarantee either. Well, that is one of the gifts at the EPA. If they, you consider one gift they gave us with the, the absurd parts per quadrillion health advisories is bottled water can't say they're safer for PFAS now either. Because if they get a non-detect, it doesn't matter just like it doesn't matter for a non-detect for us. But you brought up a very good point, and I'm glad you did so. One of our key talking points is the fact that we are the experts. We have got the certifications. We deal with this every day. We, it's our duty. We don't want to give you a product, and your drinking water is a product, that we wouldn't give to our own yeah. families. This is an industry where we didn't get into it to stick out our chest and say how important we are. It's a public service. We have a duty to our community, and, and pe most people in this field do not stand up on a pedal and say, look at me and how important I am. There is a component yeah. to this now because we do have to stand out and say we are the experts because honestly, if we don't do that and there's a gap in information, a gap in communication, what's the public going to do? They're going to go to their phones. They're going to go to Google. They're going to go to activists that are claiming that every single cancer yeah. in a community came from the drinking water when it's not even close to being true. But that is what can happen if you are not out front talking about the issue, respecting your customer by giving them the information. The biggest mistake water and wastewater utilities can make is arrogance. You know, oh, this isn't a big deal. This yeah. is a big deal. It's getting a lot of attention, but it really isn't a big deal. We'll talk about it when we absolutely have to. Well, they're going to have to now. UCMR5 guarantees yeah. it. But that's the complete attitude that will get you into trouble. And to be honest with you, it should get you into trouble. Because in this day and age, if you completely whiff on an opportunity to educate your customers, your public, elected officials, the press, about what you do and how you do it, then you deserve what you get in many aspects. Something that's coming to mind, and I remember when the Exxon Valdez thing happened, and they had their, you know... I don't know if he was the president or CEO, how he came out and he was like so arrogant, like this wasn't an issue, you know, and here we're watching you know, animals covered yes. in oil and things like that. Yeah, the I mean, that has like, no one trusts the oil industry, oil and gas industry. Yeah. The BP. Those the, kind of reasons. So yeah. I don't want that happening to us. No, no that's right. So. Especially since we didn't put it there, you know, the oil companies, they put, you know, well, okay, those, yeah, those they, they, the they did it. <laughs> but, but to your point, if we're not out front first, we it's our drinking water that's going through those taps. So when that headline hit in North Carolina, it said toxin in utility drinking water. It didn't say Camores puts toxin in drinking water. It just said toxin in water utilities drinking water. So, you know, that is the way this worm would turn. It's our product that the PFAS is in. If we don't step out and explain the issue, then what happened in North Carolina will be replicated all over the country where we're viewed as a villain because it's in our water and we haven't gotten it out. I think this will bring more attention to the wastewater and biosolids as well. You know, it's, I would tell people it's like phosphorus. It doesn't go away. You just move it yeah. unless, you know, unless we incinerate it or, you know, burn it up somewhere. Well, that's the difficulty but, is how, what are we going to deal with this? Cause yeah, if, if incineration is your number one way of dealing with it, people don't like that one bit, it's going out in the air. And to be honest with you, what we found yeah. down here in North Carolina with Gen X is 
the properties around the plant that was producing the Gen X. Yes, they were spilling it into the waterway, but it was going out into the air and rain was delivering it to groundwater wells. It wasn't a groundwater transportation. It was air and rain getting into groundwater wells. It's, an, it's a complete mess. It's, it's going to be very difficult on the wastewater and the biosolid side. And, and the example, again, is North Carolina. What happened with the utility is that they had extremely minute amounts in their biosolids to the point where it was not a public safety risk. But because they uh -huh. had gone through the, the PR disaster that had happened when it was found in the drinking water, the, the leader of the utility at the time said, I don't want another P PR mess. I'm going to kill my biosolids yeah. program because it's in there and the public won't get it. I'm just going to kill it and I'm going to look better for killing it. Well, what they did, they didn't need to do that. But what they did for PR reasons was put pressure on every other utility all around them where activists said, why aren't you killing your biosolids program too? So, you know, that butterfly effect can happen. PFAS is the number one threat to, bi threat to biosolids programs across the country. I have a lot of ways that I deal with the issue. I talk about it. The number one way that works right now is we're cutting off our nose to spite our face because if we kill our biosolids programs that have minute trace amounts of PFAS, we're not talking about the hotspots. We're talking about the vast majority yeah. of biosolids programs. If we just get rid of them, we, we, they're gone. We're not going to use them anymore. Well, what happens? More pesticides are used on our produce. Guess what's in the pesticides? PFAS. So if you're going to exchange the minute chance of, of uptake through the ground and through the, the plants for direct placement on produce through pesticides. But we can only provide that perspective and, and defend our biosolids programs if we're out front first, because if we wait for a discovery and try to explain it when we're back on our heels, it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it was time to retire two or three <laughs> years ago. <laughs> then go through this now. What kind of lessons learned do you have? I mean, like, I know you've yeah. kind of given us a couple examples, but are there some other lessons learned that we should be thinking about? While I've done a lot of work in this area, I know a lot about what works. I don't have every single bullet to every single issue that could crop up because it's such an ever-changing landscape. What I am telling people now is, and I'll just reinforce it, get out front first, go to the public with information the way that they get information, be out front, take tough questions. We have messages and materials that work to help explain the issue. So they have an understanding for it as news comes in about the MCLs, as news comes in about more exposure through even more products, what we deal with when it comes to potential violations in the future, what we're going to find under UCMR5. You know, all of those factors mean that there's going to be more and more attention on the issue. If we know there's going to be more attention on the issue, get talking first. And it can be baby steps. It can be just good information on your website. It can be a holding statement that we have a template for that utilities can use to get them through this period of time and of uncertainty. If you provide that information and show your public that you're on top of the issue, you're, it's a concern for you, you're gonna still keep them safe because that's what you do. You're in a better position to succeed as all, you know, all the steps, especially from the EPA, 
are putting uh, utilities in a position to fail. I appreciate our conversation because this has been weighing on me ever since I found out about PFAS. I'm like, how do we talk about this? How do we share about it? How do we educate about it? That template you mentioned, we'll put that link in the show notes so that sure. you know people can find a way to start talking about it. If there's other questions or concerns you have, we're going to put Mike's uh, contact information in the show notes as well. Thank so. You. Feel free to, to reach out. You can tell that he's passionate about it. <laughs> that he, <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, yeah. that he's concerned. I'm also caffeinated, so that helps too. Oh, all right. There we go. That's a good way to start this. <laughs> <laughs> I greatly appreciate you coming in and talking about this. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it too. Now we're going to uh, switch over to the Wanda's Water Tidbit. Uh, this is a part of the show where we talk about what's unusual and sometimes brilliant about water. I just recently went to Niagara Falls, like as last week, I was on in New York for a customer site visit. And that place is mind boggling. <laughs> You've been there too, right? Yeah, I, I'm a Syracuse grad. So we used to pop over there quite a bit. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I've joked with, with you earlier about this is the fact I've been there a half dozen times. I didn't really take in its raw power or beauty because usually we were grabbing a beer before a football game or, you know, <laughs> before a, a formal. So it's like, oh, yeah. But um, you, so you, when you're younger, you don't really realize the power that you're witnessing when you're watching those falls. I mean, there's so much energy behind what you're yeah. seeing. Yeah, just standing there on the side, you feel it. Right. There's no other way of saying it, but you feel it. You feel the ground moving and the water because of that water. And I didn't know that it was actually the oldest state park built in 1885. No, I didn't know that either. Yeah, I was like, oh, I didn't know it had three waterfalls, the American Falls, Bridal Veil Falls, and Horseshoe Falls. And while I was out there on site, my kids back in Arizona, I, I FaceTimed them. I'm like, look at this. This is so cool. And <laughs> My son's like, why don't they get more energy and power out of it? Why don't they? I'm like, you can't grasp how much water this is unless you're right. standing beside it. Right. My daughter still says, yeah, I only saw two of the three waterfalls, mom. I'm all, oh, well, you got two. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah, it, what I remember a little bit is before you get to the falls, you're watching the river come into them and you're just grasping the fact of how it's moving, how powerful it is, even before it gets to the falls. And then you're you're at the falls and you see it and you're, you know, it, it does blow you away a little bit. It certainly does. I was reading up on it. There was a sign there that said it was 681,750 gallons per second. You know, for those who like tons, it's 3,160 tons of water. I was like, that's a water plant. That's a, yeah. you know, wastewater plant going over that, those falls every second. Right. Like no one wants to be in charge of that plant. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be honest of that. They also say that it produces 4 million kilowatts of electricity, which is shared between the U.S. and Canada. And I didn't realize when I first got there that the land on the other side of the falls was Canada. Right. I'm like, that is that is really close. That's why we had our formals there, because we could you know, we could drink when we were 18 in Canada. So oh! those are the old <laughs> days. So we could pop over there. Yes, exactly. So there was but, a whole uh, plan and behind the, and the Canadian side is where you get, I think you get the, the better views of it. But um, okay. it's amazing. All right. it, it really is an amazing site. I mean, it, I've flown over to Grand Canyon. I haven't been there yet. And it's kind of like, here's your mini dose of what the Grand Canyon might have looked like way back when, when it was filled with water is kind of your your little 
piece of of what's happened with the falls i'm glad you brought that up because you know being in arizona i've been to the grand canyon about as often as you did niagara falls <laughs> yeah, right. different family members and stuff but you know it's so big right that your first impression is that this is just a picture like it's not real and then you look down the side and you're like oh yeah this is real this this yeah. i can feel this this is real i did not realize though that for the five great lakes the superior michigan huron and erie drain into the niagara i didn't realize that either uh, and i used to think of myself as geography whiz so i feel shame oh, but, uh, yeah. oh well to to grind it in a little more it says one-fifth of the world's fresh water supply is there at niagara right, right. and i was like oh, how did i not know this being in a a water industry for so long yeah so, when i visit michigan i've spoken to michigan and wisconsin and and it's it's often brought up, you know, what you're looking at is fresh water. East Coast boy, you're you're looking at you're not looking at salt water. You're looking at fresh water. Uh -huh. so, uh, and they're quite proud of that and how clean it is and how beautiful it looks. I recommend it. Yeah, it's about a half hour away from the Buffalo, New York airport. So if you're in the area, just take a short commute. I'm going to post some of my pictures. Not that I'm a great photographer, but, you know, just for the fun of it. Do you get any shots with the rainbow that comes out? It's a, I still, I think, have a an old Kodak picture because I graduated from college 30 years ago of where I got a shot where it's the rainbow over the falls. So No. Dang uh, it. Well, it's okay. You know, it well, just, I got my daughter a keychain. Depends key on chain. what angle you're at. That's all. <laughs> like, I got my daughter a keychain with it. Does, does that count? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Well, Mike, I want to thank you again for joining us. I'm glad we were finally able to make this work. Yeah, and so like I said before, to contact Mike or read more about the Niagara Falls, please review the show notes for this episode. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you again, Heather. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Water Break Podcast, brought to you by Probiotic Solutions. Probiotic Solutions offers a broad spectrum line of biostimulant and nutrient products for bioremediation of water, wastewater, and soil. You can find more information about our products and the show notes for this podcast at probiotic.com. Probiotic Solutions is transitioning to human environmental. The name will be different, but will offer the same great products. Find out more about this transition at huma.us.